What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Calgary Stampeders defeating the Edmonton Elks in preseason action. The Toronto Argonauts unveiling new uniforms for the 2023 season. The BC Lions parting ways with star defensive end Sean Lemon. Great Cup betting odds for the 2023 CFL season. And Riders quarterback Jake Dolagala being found not guilty of impaired driving. But first. The CFL has unveiled a new streaming service for American fans called CFL Plus. The service will allow fans south of the border to watch every game not carried by CBS for free. The league has also launched Preseason Live, a free service for Canadian fans that will broadcast every preseason game not being carried by TSN or RDS. The streams feature in-stadium video feeds with synced audio play-by-play from local radio broadcasts. What do you make of the new initiative? Let's start off with the Canadian side. So we watched that preseason game through CFL.ca. I know a lot of people did on Twitter as well, judging by the responses on social media. I thought the broadcast was fantastic. There were a few snafus with the audio where multiple channels would be running at the same time. There was one kind of awkward transition back from commercial where the video didn't keep up. But aside from a couple of small technical snafus, you can't, I mean, first of all, you can't argue with free, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a born and bred Winnipegger. Free is my favorite thing, okay? You can't argue with free. And for a free broadcast, it was fantastic. I also really enjoyed the commentary from Mark Stevens, veteran Hall of Fame broadcaster, can't go wrong with any of that. I also think that this American initiative is very positive because one of the trade-offs with the CBS deal, they got more money than they used to have with ESPN, but there's less exposure. And I've seen complaints all the time from Americans south of the border, not knowing where the CFL is on, right? They don't know if it's on ESPN plus, they don't know if it's on ESPN two, they don't know if it's on any, like, like anywhere. Now they know every game is going to be either on CBS, which is paid or most of the games, more than half anyway, are going to be free 
through the CFL's new app. And what this is going to do is give the CFL, not just in Canada with the preseason broadcast, but also down south, it's going to give them millions of data points about which teams, which players, NFL, or pardon me, uh, CFL fans down south, and to an extent, the preseason CFL fans in Canada want to see. They'll know how long these people are watching for, what, what, like margin of scores are they watching when do they turn off the game is it when the game is 17 nothing or 10 nothing when do they keep watching when do they stop watching when do they tune in is it common for people to tune in at halftime if the game is close or do they not tune in because they know the game is a blowout those data points are going to help the cfl formulate how to make their game the most engaging and the most entertaining product that it can be and also where in america people are watching is there a huge segment of CFL fans in Texas relative to Florida? Or is Florida a surprise CFL hotbed relative to Massachusetts or Oklahoma or California? Those are data points that will be valuable for the CFL when they negotiate their next TV deal south of the border. My negative with this, boys, is that this is about five years too late. This is an initiative that the CFL should have taken on sooner. They are behind in streaming. They are behind in data collection. They are behind in getting their product in front of eyeballs. But I applaud them for at least starting late. It's better late than never. And I also applaud them for making this free. Because again, you can't argue with free. And free is the best way to ensure that you're getting the most data points possible for future success. Yeah, I've seen some people critique the free aspect. And I think there is maybe some merit to that. There is difficulty, I think, sometimes when you give someone a product for free to then ask them next year or two years down the line to say, okay, now that same service is worth $20 a year or you know $50 a year, whatever it ends up being. I don't think it's going to be free forever. But to your point, Hodge, those data points are going to be invaluable in leveraging future American TV deals, in my mind, expanding beyond what they have currently with CBS Sports Network or expanding with CBS Sports Network to carry more games because they're going to be able to say, hey, this is how many people are watching every single one of our games for free. So if we put this on a network that's already available on their television that they already have access to, we can reliably say these are the number of people who would be interested in tuning into your network who advertisers could reach if you agreed to carry our games. So there's value in it there. For me, I think it's less of a long-term streaming play as it is a test market for future American television because it's going to be a little bit difficult in the American market, I think, to give something for free in this streaming capacity and then begin charging money, especially when there's no strong ties there with teams. I think potentially in the future, we could see this develop maybe after the TSN deal expires in a few years, see this knowledge go to work for a Canadian streaming service where you could pay to watch all CFL games. I think that would truly be fantastic and a real step forward for the league. It's not free in the sense that data collection these days, guys, is worth big money. And we're talking millions, if not billions of dollars. Now, I'm not saying the CFL is going to be able to profit that much like a Google or Facebook, let's say. But when you go to type something into Google, everybody thinks being on the internet 
is free. You know, that's after you pay your provider, but you type something into Google and you get the response that you want, or you find what you're looking for. Well, Google has made oodles of money on people's data, collecting people's data and using that to make money. So the CFL, yes, they're giving the ability to people to watch these games for free, but that data collection is very important for the reasons that JC alluded to and also creating a market. It could not just be only for going to United States broadcasters and saying, hey, we have this data here. We know there's a market that you could potentially tap into if you sign a broadcast deal with us. They could also go to companies in America or across North America and say, here, these are a pocket of people or in this part of the country who are watching our CFL games. Do you want us to target them with advertising for your company? So the CFL is doing something smart here. I totally agree with Hodge. This is way, way, way too late with the speed that the tech industry is moving in with AI coming in so quickly, the CFL needs to be quicker on its feet. And I think Victor Kui understands that with what he built in Asia with one championship. So this data collection, although on the outside, it looks like it's free is actually very valuable to the CFL. Well, and I think by making it free, you're ensuring that you're going to get the largest amount of data possible. And we've talked about marketing on this podcast before. I've never understood why there's not a billboard of Bolivar Mitchell in Katy, Texas, with the CFL's broadcast information on it. The same is true for Zach Kolaris in downtown Cincinnati, or even a recent example would be Nathan Rourke. Why is there not a Nathan Rourke billboard in Athens, Ohio, where he was a college star, where his brother is still a college star, telling people, hey, you want to watch football? Here's where to do it. And those are billboards that maybe the CFL is hoping the American television provider would pay for. To me, it's worth paying for on your own because people in those markets need to know, hey, these guys you loved watching, you can keep doing it and you can do it in the summertime when nobody else is playing football. And by the way, with the addition of this new streaming service, you can do it for free a lot of the time. You just have to be willing to, to plug in a, a basic URL on your laptop and connect it to your television, which most people are tech savvy enough these days to do. So I, I think it's a positive step. It's a late step, but it is a better late than never step. And it's one that I'm excited to see. And, and by the way, I'll also say this. I think with the in-stadium, video that's been shown and you know the, the sinking of radio broadcasting maybe the future of you know i don't want to say nfl or, or or really really big market pro sports but maybe the future of broadcasting canadian sports whether it's at the pro level or the amateur level can be something more like that right everyone's looking to cut costs you know bell media tsm was supposed to show three preseason games or four preseason games, I believe originally it got chopped down to two. I believe RDS is doing one French language game, which brings it to three, but you know, they didn't say an official reason, but I think it's safe to speculate that it was cost cutting. Well, if we can get a product that looks like the one we saw, I really like the graphics that we saw that CFL put together. Um, granted their live stats don't work and their new stat system is still broken. The game happened 48 hours ago. The stats are still not working on the website. They uploaded a PDF with the stats to the website. There are wrong stats on that PDF that I've seen, which is a whole separate issue that needs to get fixed. But with that being said, this is a situation where the CFL 
made a correct decision. They did the right thing. And I'm excited to see what comes of it. Not next year. I don't think this is something that's going to change the landscape for the CFL in 2024. But I do think that it's something that could change their landscape, say, in 2026 or 2028 as a long-term play. So I like that. Let's let's not give Bell Media too many ideas in terms of how to cut costs, Hodge. But to your point with the preseason games, I think it's the bare minimum that fans have been demanding for as long as I've been watching the CFL to get all these games viewable to everybody. And the response has been overwhelmingly positive for that reason. And I hope it's something that continues. I don't want to see regular season broadcasts reduced to that level anytime soon. I think that would be a major step back for the league, but if we can see some, you know, shoddy sloppy preseason football streamed to our laptops, I'm very happy with that result. Well, I, I didn't, but I didn't think that, I mean, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that TSN should have local radio broadcasts doing the play by play, but Visually, do you think that the the preseason broadcast was that much worse than a TSN broadcast? I didn't. It wasn't that much worse, but it was worse. I mean, I admittedly, Hodge, I've probably watched a lot more streamed football than you have because I'm a sucker for punishment who likes to watch the fourth Czech league and ridiculous things like that. Uh, so I've seen my fair share of of bad streams. This was probably in the middle. I've seen European games that are that are streamed live that had better quality than the CFL preseason uh, game, and and that's not to say this was bad. I think it was perfectly acceptable. Uh, I just wouldn't want regular broadcasts to have that level of quality. I, I do think it's a step back. I've never worked in television. I'm just Joe Blow who watches sports. For me, as a total layperson in this area, I thought it looked good but I'm open to someone more qualified. And Dunk, you have done a lot of broadcasting work telling me I'm I'm right or wrong. <laughs> it was decent. It definitely wasn't national broadcast quality, but to be honest, Hodge, to your point, I was expecting a lot worse. So I thought it was solid. Some of the replays looked pretty good, but anytime in broadcast, when you're trying something new, you're never really going to know what it's like until you actually go on air you can do all of the test runs and talk about it as much as you want but until you go on air there's stuff that just seems to pop up for whatever reason whether it's audio video or anything of the like that happens so i thought overall there wasn't any major gaffes it seemed like the stream was pretty quality and you mentioned the audio issue off the top they got that fixed so it wasn't national broadcast quality but it also wasn't super fuzzy where you're looking at the screen going, I don't know if that's Jake Mayer or Tommy Stevens or who's playing quarterback right now for the St. Peters. It was clear, which is what you can at least ask for at a bare minimum. I just think if you're going to talk about the CFL being a professional league, and that's what it is ultimately because it plays, pays the players to pay, plays the players to play, pay that they <laughs> Pay the players to play. <laughs> Did I get it right finally? They play I, the I, man. That <laughs> was that was almost coaches. like when JC tried to say Loyola. That was amazing. Oh don't make you, don't make There's me say worse. it again. Come on, JC. You've been practicing every day. It vexes me. So they pay the players. They pay the coaches. It's supposed to be professional level, and these broadcasts I think need to be bumped up just even for the preseason streams, but it was solid. So I think the fact that it was out there and it was viewable was pretty good. 
syncing it with the radio broadcast doesn't necessarily always work because there's a different way that you broadcast a football game when people can't actually see it. But for what it is, I thought it was solid and definitely better than nothing. Well, and we'll see, depending on which stadium, right, the game is in, the, the feeds could look different. We're recording this on Wednesday. There are several preseason games to come that will be available for free on this service. So it's possible that some will look better, some will look worse. It depends largely on the in-house stadium feed. So remains to be seen. Maybe we'll see some ugly broadcasts or, or some even better broadcasts. That'd be great. We've talked a lot about the broadcast, boys. Now it's time to talk about the game. Sam Peters narrowly edged the Elks by a score of 29-24, though they were outgained by almost 200 yards. Edmonton sent almost all backups to Cowtown while the Stamps started their number ones. Head coach Dave Dickinson told the media after the game that he was disappointed in his starters. Was that fair? I think it was absolutely fair. I thought Jake Mayer was the worst quarterback in that football game by a wide margin. And there was some bad quarterbacking in that football game from some of the backups. Now he didn't get a large sample size. They didn't keep him in there to help him get out of the rut, but I think he was only one for three for six yards. If the CFL's flawed late PDF stats page is to be believed. (laughs) So I mean, uh, our, our last experience of Jake Mayer was him in the West semifinal against BC just absolutely floundering and getting himself old in the fourth quarter of a game where they were within reasonable striking distance. That's our last experience with him. Now he's come out and he looked flat in that first quarter of this preseason game. To me, that's very concerning. And I was a big believer in Jake Mayer. I still am, but we've seen quarterbacks over the last couple of years. I mean, we saw just last year, with Dane Evans, guys who have experience being starters, right, who have taken on that role, who have excelled, and once it becomes their mantle, they're the guy, definitively, they can't quite live up to it. They struggle. And so I think if you're the Calgary Stampeders or a Stampeders fan right now, you should be just a little bit concerned about what you're going to see from Jake Mayer this season. Not to say he's going to be the next Dane Evans, but you need him to show some life in the next preseason game or when they take the field in the regular season early on to be comfortable saying that this team can live up to their potential. Jake Mayer will be fine. It's just a preseason game. Like you said, if the stats are to be believed, which they might not be on point, only three through three passes completed one to Reggie Bagleton. I think it's much ado about nothing until the regular season comes. And yes, in the playoff game against BC last year, he didn't look great, but I don't think they committed to running the football as much as they probably should have. And Dave Dickinson pretty much admitted as much after the game. Some of the players are frustrated about that, but I think this Calgary team is somewhat underrated. The offensive line is really solid. They have arguably the best set of running backs in the league led by arguably the best running back in the league in Kadeem Carey and a bunch of playmakers led by Reggie Begleton and Malik Henry and a defense that's getting Trey Roberson back. That was really good last year. And you know, this went under the radar fellas that Calgary led the CFL in terms of points scored last year. I don't think a lot of people would have remembered that and credit to Ryan Valentine for pointing that out. Homer or not, it's a factual statement. So 
I don't think there needs to be any concern about Mayer or this offense after that preseason showing. I think Dave Dickinson is just trying to send a message to his team that no matter who is in there, they need to be more competent. Yeah, to me, you shouldn't re- overreact from a preseason game. It is just a preseason game, and Mayer did not play a lot. But that being said, it's worth noting that the Elks, by my count, started exactly one player who will be in their starting lineup come the regular season, and that was Christian Rector at defensive end. Now, obviously, we don't know exactly how the regular season roster will flush out, and this is a Chris Jones-led team, which means, who knows, he could throw the whole thing into a blender by week two. So, you know, the way it doesn't even matter who starts in week one. (laughs) But they started three Canadian rookies. They started Jake Taylor, second-round territorial pick out of University of Alberta. At safety, they started Michael Baudrick, the second overall pick at middle linebacker. And they also started Charles Pierre, the 375-pound nose tackle who went undrafted last year out of Houston at nose tackle, which is wild. Um, That is why, to me, it was a little bit concerning to see Jake Mayer struggle. Also because we have to look at the optics here. They just parted ways with a future Hall of Fame quarterback to make Mayer the guy. We saw Mayer, JC, you mentioned it, struggle in the West semifinal, a game that the Stampeders ultimately lost. If I was the Stampeders, I want Jake Mayer to go out there on that first drive, first couple of drives at McMahon Stadium and put up, a, you know, if not a touchdown, at least a couple of really nice drives, show some familiarity, some chemistry with that receiving core. There's lots of new pieces, especially with their Canadians out there, guys like Rayson John, Cole Tucker, right, who they took in the first round of this year's draft, third round pick Clark Barnes at the University of Guelph. We didn't see that. Jake Mayer, look, he, he completely floundered. And that is not the investment that you want to see uh, or, the, or the performance that you want to see when you've made such a significant investment in that player. So to me, that is a small concern. But again, this is a preseason game. Does it matter? Yes. Does it matter a lot? Absolutely not. You should not overreact because I don't think that Jake Mayer is going to look like that when the bullets start flying for real in the regular season. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't want to labor too much on the Stampeders, but I think dunk touched on it and I can hear Ryan Ballantyne screaming somewhere off in the distance <laughs> that well it doesn't matter if, if Jake Mayer doesn't fully live up to expectations because just look at that running game look how powerful they are and and I think it's undeniably the best running game in the CFL right any one of their three main backs could be a starter anywhere in the CFL and a top tier starter in my opinion plus I mean their fourth guy Canadian Richard Giraud looked like a beast at the fourth quarter of that preseason game too. So even he can't be discounted, but running the football, especially in modern, uh, in, in modern football, it's just, it's a difficult way to win. It's not saying you can't do it, but it is difficult and makes it much tougher on yourself. If you're overly reliant on the run game and the Stampeders, quite frankly, were last year. And we saw the effects of that in that West semifinal against BC, where they just gave up on it. And they didn't give up on it. Maybe uh, maybe they could have been more committed to it. I think that's a fair criticism of Dickinson. But anytime you face an opponent that has the capacity to score big-time points through the air, like BC did with Nathan Rourke at quarterback, that neutralizes your running game. You, can no, you can't run the football any longer and be effective if you've got a team that can be explosive through the air that you're facing. A good opposing offense neutralizes your own offense. And so can you put together wins? Can you be a, a dominant team? 
sure you can be, but you need everything to align just right. And you have to execute almost perfectly every single game in order to be successful with that style of offense. And it makes it more difficult on you. We saw it with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, right? They were such a dominant running team with Andrew Harris, and they had success. They were coming over the peak, but they couldn't get over the top. They couldn't win a Grey Cup until they got Zach Caleros, until they got the quarterback who could match and throw it around the field because inevitably at some point in the season, they come into a game that was critical and someone would neutralize the running game and Matt Nichols couldn't put them over the top. They had to get the quarterback. Now you need to find out if Jake Mayer is the quarterback that can do that for the Calgary Stampeders and be a compliment and an advantage with that run game. It's easy to me to say one thing I'll, I'll add, JC. It's easy to say, oh, let's run the ball. Well, opposing defensive coordinators are just going to fill the box at a certain point. They're just going to fill the box and make it make it so that you have to throw the ball to win. And uh, if Jake Mayer can't do that, the Stampeders are in big trouble. If he can, that's great. That'll keep plenty of room open for Kadeem Carey and company. The Toronto Argonauts have unveiled new uniforms, a monochromatic look that is all Cambridge blue. What do you guys make of the new digs? I really like them, fellas. To be honest, this look is very forward-thinking. And there are some people out there that will say, well, you're celebrating the 150th anniversary of the team. It should be a throwback uniform. But I really like the vision here. The only thing I don't love is, I guess, the oars on the shoulders. I kind of wish those were gone and just make these jerseys even cleaner. But that road look with the Cambridge blue helmet, white pants, and white jersey might just be a legitimate candidate for the number one spot in Three Down Nation's uniform rankings. Those are super clean. Look good, feel good, play good, boys. I love these new Argonauts jerseys way better than the ones that they had last year when they won the Grey Cup. I like that they've gone away from the navy blue. I'll never forget, this is about uh, just over 10 years ago, having a conversation with somebody where they pointed out that three-quarters of the East Division wore navy blue. And in hindsight, that was pretty stupid, considering that this is, or at least at the time, was an eight-team league, and and three of the teams in the same division were all wearing the same colors. So the the Alouettes have doubled down on it, but the Bombers now in the West Division have gone to royal blue, and I love that the Argos are highlighting that Cambridge blue because there isn't any other team in the league that wears that. Um, and I like that we have that that diversity. It keeps the games looking fresh. Uh, I remember back in the day when the Elks decided to wear green on the road um, when they would play in Saskatchewan, right? That led to a lot of jokes where it's like, Oh, does every team in this league wear green? So I like that we have more diversity now. Um, and I do like these jerseys. I agree with dunk. I don't like the oars on the shoulders. The other thing that I don't like is I think the helmet needs some more detail. I think the helmet needs a Navy blue stripe or, or a white and navy stripe, just something to bring a little bit of extra flavor. The helmet, to me, though the logo looks absolutely fantastic, the boat logo is a great logo. I think it lacks just a little bit of detail there, but I do like these, and I am very curious. And Dunk, you teased it. We are in the midst right now of doing a uniform ranking, and by that we mean all 25 uniforms in the CFL. Every team's home, every team's away, and some teams have alternates, some teams don't. But we're going to be ranking them all with, uh, I think, a dozen of our contributors 
providing grades. So I'm very interested to see where these two new looks um, end up on our rankings. That'll be fun. I know where it ended up on my rankings, and that's damn near the bottom because I absolutely loathe this new look. I do. I loathe it. Now, first of all, (laughs) boys, you keep saying navy blue. That's not navy blue. It's Oxford blue. That's the that's the color scheme. Was Oxford? Oh, sorry, that's very different. Sorry, yeah. And now I I can appreciate the uh, the historical illusion of going back to the Cambridge blue look. Uh, I don't believe there was ever a point where they were fully just a block of Cambridge blue, but I can appreciate that effort, but I just hate the color. I really do. And I don't think a football team of grown men should go out there on the field wearing a color that looks like you should swaddle a newborn baby in a bassinet with. I just don't think that looks good at all. I think they look like, like little stuffed animals. I think they're, it's soft. It's, it's, it's just not for me. Okay. I, I would prefer something a little bit darker, a little bit meaner. Maybe you have the highlights of the Cambridge view. Heck go back to the old striped look that they wore back in the 1920s. I don't care, but don't make it a block of just Cambridge blue. Cause I, you just get lost in there and the oars on the shoulder again, in principle, I thought, Somebody thought that was a great idea, and I might have agreed with them before looking at it, but it just looks like the feathers that the Alouettes used to have on their shoulders, exactly like that. And so you're looking at this uniform going, Argonauts don't have feathers, and you have to figure out that it's oars. If it's not intuitive, you shouldn't have it on the uniform. So to me, it's a bad look overall. It's on the bottom of my jersey rankings. And I hope it is a one-year look because, quite frankly, uh, they make me a little bit sick looking at them. I can't believe this guy. He doesn't want to talk about jerseys. And then he comes out <laughs> here, Hodge, and he's correcting us on proper colors. Yeah. It, oh, I, it's lame to talk about uniforms. But here's my 18 very strong opinions about uniforms. Uh, yeah. It's not navy blue, go. it's Oxford blue, okay? Oh, come on, it's navy. <laughs> I, mind you, that is kind of my philosophy. There's like 12 colors. There's there's like the colors and like a dark and a light. That's it. I don't get into the periwinkle, <laughs> fuchsia level of detail. There's just like 12 colors. That's my take. But no, I, I do like these. Um, I don't think they're the best look at the CFL, but I think it's a fresh update. And I will also say they are, in my view, a big upgrade over the uniforms that the Argos wore in the Grey Cup this past year. I think it's also a lot better to have clear numbers. That is a huge thing for me in uniforms. I'm not going to get hung up on details, but the numbers of players have to be clear. That was a knock I had on the Argos uniforms. It was the dark blue with the light blue uh, number. The Red Blacks had that years ago when they had black uniforms with red numbers. It was hard to see. That's my knock on BC's gunmetal jerseys. A black number on a gray jersey is hard to see. So I love how clear the numbers are on these jerseys. That makes me happy because I don't have to squint and fight to try to figure out who is on the bloody field. That is that is my number one thing, and these jerseys pass that with flying colors. It's really simple for these jerseys. If they took the oars off the shoulder pads, and I agree, they do look like feathers because that was my first thought, and also put a dark blue stripe on the helmet front to back, and these are far and away the best jerseys in the CFL. They look so clean and new. And I know there is some Tennessee Titans inspiration behind them. And I know 
some people in the CFL don't like people drawing ideas from especially NFL teams, but some of the Titans uniforms have looked really sharp and they have a very similar color scheme to the Argos. And you can see it here, especially in the way that the numbers are done are very similar to what the Titans do. And I love them overall. I know JC seems to think that this baby blue is soft, man. But when Chad Kelly is slinging that rock all over the field, if he can do it like he did in the double blue scrimmage in these jerseys, it is going to look so sweet, JC. I don't think you would know a good uniform color scheme if it hits you in the face because you didn't even like BC's new uniforms. I don't. I don't like their new uniforms either. I'm a traditionalist. I like I like my old school uniforms. Uh, I like darker, strong colors. I like that sort of traditional look. I just, I think some dark highlights here, a little bit more Oxford blue gentlemen on this uniform could go a long way to improving my opinion of it. But it just, it, making it monochromatic with that light shade of blue, to me, it's calming. It's, you know, it's a little bit gentle. It makes you want to rock to sleep. I, that's not what I want from a football team. Here's, but, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. People, I've heard people say this. I also heard people say this when uh, the Elks changed their name. And it's like, well, Elks aren't intimidating. Don't you want to intimidate the other team? Has anyone it's like, been near if Elk Sean Oakman is playing nose tackle. I don't care yes. what Sean Sean Oakman could be wearing a burlap sack, and I would still desperately not want to have to block him. So I do not care from an intimidation standpoint. Say it has looks like. any effect on the game whatsoever, right? Like the the Argonauts are going to be as tough in these uniforms as they are in their old uniforms. They'd be in tough if they literally went out there wearing diapers with little uh, little soothers. They'd still look as tough as they are. Exactly. But, but from a aesthetic fan point of view, I just don't think it's a good look. I, I want I'm, not, I'm not saying you that said that. Tough. I'm not saying you said that, but I, I did see a lot of that when the Elks name was announced. And I think it would be it, it's pretty outrageous to to think that in a, in a, an opposing offensive lineman is going to go, well, yeah, I have to block Jamin Pelly today. But the name of his team is the Elks. So therefore, he's not intimidating at all. He's, he's, he'll be no problem to block because his team has a weak name. Like, no, that's that's silly and goofy. We got to get it out of here. Let's put JC on the record here. If Derek Henry <laughs> came running at you in Cambridge blue uniforms, would he look mean and would you want to tackle him? I mean, I would be just as likely to tackle Derek Henry in Cambridge blue as I would be in any other color. And that's not very likely. However, I would probably freeze into fright and get absolutely trucked. You should put that video on YouTube. <laughs> A million we got views him on the right record. there. <laughs> Gotta love it. According to DraftKings and other major sports books partnered with 3downnation.com, the Blue Bombers are the favorites to win the 2023 Grey Cup. Do you guys see any value in picking other teams to claim the CFL championship or is the smart money on the peg to me? I don't really believe honestly in, in betting favorites like that. The bombers are plus two twenty five to win. So that means that like a $50 bet, you're getting just over a hundred dollars in terms of winnings, which is fine. And I, I do think that the chances of Winnipeg getting back to the great cup are pretty good. Even winning it are pretty good. They've been in the last three, one, two, the last three. And by the way, for all your CFL betting needs, 
Go on our desktop, 3downnation.com, hover over the odds tab, and then you can click on CFL, break up all that good stuff. If you want to bet on the CFL, please do it through 3downnation. Um, but to me, the best buy here is, first of all, always an Eastern team, right? There's only four teams in the East. There's five in the West, mathematically. You know, you have a better shot of getting a team through the East Division to the Great Cup. And as we saw this past year, once you're in the Great Cup, anything can happen, even if you're not the favorites. To me, the team with the longest odds in the East Division also happens to be the best buy, and that is the Ottawa Red Blacks at plus 1,500. If you were to place a $50 bet, you would be getting back like $750 for that money. And this is a team that, yes, they only won four games this past year, but they were super competitive in back-to-back games against the Blue Bombers to start the year. Jeremiah Masoli goes down. And then their whole season derailed. Mazzoli's not going to play in the preseason, but he is, by all accounts, ready to perform. And with Mazzoli in the lineup, in what is, again, not a terribly strong division, I think that the Red Blacks will be hosting a playoff game this season. And once you host a playoff game, getting to the Grey Cup and potentially winning it are fully in the cards, just as we saw in 2016 when this team shocked the Calgary Stampeders to win a CFL title. So to me, the best buy is the Ottawa Red Blacks. Yeah, you, you stole my pick there, Hodge, because uh, I really like the Red Blacks <laughs> as well. Uh, but is it for, because of their uniforms? No, it has <laughs> nothing to do with their uniforms. But for the sake of being different, I'm, I'm going to go in, a, in another direction, um, but with the same philosophy. When I'm making a bet like this on something long-term that, you know, no matter who you're betting on, it's it's a one in nine chance to to pay off. It's it's a long shot bet. I want to get the highest return, so I look at first of all who has the longest odds, and right now that's the Edmonton Elks at plus two thousand on DraftKings. And for me, even though I don't think they're the likeliest to win the Grey Cup, I still think there's value there because I look down the list of West Division teams. And I see a bunch of of teams that have the potential to decline and open up doors for someone else to step up, right? Winnipeg, they're the favorites for a reason, but at some point, the age is going to catch up to them. They're going to have just the right amount of injuries to knock them off their pedestal. Calgary, we've already talked about some of my concerns about whether Jake Mayer can do it and whether they're going to be able to live up to potential if he doesn't have the season that people expect him to have. And then the BC Lions, I think, are naturally going to have a step back in terms of their win total because they're going from Nathan Rourke to Vernon Adams Jr. And even if VA has the best season of his career, it's not going to be as good as what Nathan Rourke was able to produce last year. And so they're going to win fewer games as a result. And so in that mix, there's a potential for one of the non-playoff teams last year to step up. And to me, Edmonton is the likelier of the two because of the weaponry that they've surrounded Taylor Cornelius with. Now, I've never been a big believer in Cornelius, but he doesn't really have to be accurate this season. His receiving core is insane, right? You've got guys like Eugene Lewis and Stephen Dunbar Jr. and Dylan Mitchell, who I thought down the stretch last year was as good as any receiver in the entire CFL. He's going to have weaponry around him. Chris Jones' teams always take a jump in year two. I think there's some talent on that defense. They've legitimately gotten better. So if they can make the playoffs, and I think they could, given those other teams and how they're positioned and how they might take a step back, 
then why not bet on them to make it all the way to the Grey Cup, especially if the payoff is as big as it is here? The Red Blacks are definitely a savvy bet in the East. We all agree on that. That is, I think, worth putting some money down on. But I'm going to go to the hardy middle here. It's never really valuable from a betting the board perspective if you're going to take the favorite in terms of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So I'll go with the Calgary Stampeders at plus 650 because Dave Dickinson has led teams there before. Jake Mayer did have a playoff start now under his belt after that West semifinal in BC last year. And this team has some veterans on it that are really good. And I think that defense can be stout. And if Jake Mayer plays solid football or even up to half of his potential, I think Calgary is a real dark horse, pardon the pun, team to win the Grey Cup coming out of that tough West division. There were some people last year that thought that Calgary could pull an upset of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers because they played them so close. And in a couple of those games, the quarterback was Jake Mayer. So I think he's ready for this moment. Now, this is not to say that this is me picking the Stampeders to win the Grey Cup. It's the team that I think has the most realistic value in terms of the betting aspect of this. So I think that's important for people to understand that I don't want to speak for you guys, but I don't think either of you are out here saying the Red Blacks are going to win the Grey Cup either, but it's the best value bet. And when you're looking at betting, that's what you need to do with your money is find the best value. Bet the board, as the experts would say. The BC Lions have signed Canadian defensive end Jonathan Kongbo and, in a corresponding move, released reigning West Division most outstanding defensive player Sean Lemon. Which is the bigger move, JC? The addition of Kongbo or the subtraction of Lemon? That's a tough one. I'm going to go with the addition of Kongbo only because I think the subtraction of Lemon was kind of inevitable based on the way the Lions thought their roster was going to shake out. And and for the uninitiated, I don't think they thought Lemon was going to be a starter and they didn't see a ton of value in keeping him around as a rotational backup because he doesn't play special teams at this point in his career. And why should he? He's 34 years old and a future Hall of Famer. I I wouldn't put myself out on special teams either. And that's not his skill set, right? He's a tremendous pass rusher, but the Lions, the way they construct their roster, I think now with Kongbo, they can potentially go with two starting Canadian defensive ends. And the talent there is absolutely absurd, right? You've got Matthew Betts. He was excellent last year. David Menard, we all know, has been tremendous in a rotational role for a number of years. A guy who's just two seasons removed from being the East Division nominee for most outstanding Canadian with nine sacks. And I think he had seven last year as well. And then you've got your first round pick, Francis Bemi Jr. You've got Jonathan Kongbo, who's coming back from the NFL. And you've got some solid depth backups and guys like Josh Archibald and Riley Pickett who you've drafted in the last couple of years. And so now you have a team that's built not only to start two Canadian defensive ends potentially, but to have depth behind them. And I think that's the way that the Lions can sort of manipulate their ratio in order to get some other talented young Americans on the field. It's just really unfortunate for Sean Lemon, who I think will find a spot probably after training camps or if there's an injury to a defensive end to start the season. Because by all accounts, he was having a great camp with the Lions, and it's really just the way that they're going 
with the ratio. So I think he'll find a spot. I'm really intrigued to see, though, how Jonathan Kongbo will do with this team as they've built up quite a stack, JC, as you know, of defensive linemen that have national passports. The interesting thing to me here is who will get Sean Lemon? We know that the bridge with Calgary seemed to be burnt a little bit this last season. Um, the Stampeders had the opportunity to retain Lemon. They decided not to. And he has burnt bridges elsewhere in the league. Sean Lemon gives Kevin Wren, Kevin Glenn, a run for his money in terms of how he has moved all around the CFL. That being said, the place where I think Sean Lemon would be the best fit at this point, because he's not going to command a ton of money on the open market, given the teams have already spent a lot of their money for 2023, is right where I am, boys, in Winnipeg. Yes, Jackson Jeffcoat. Yes, Willie Jefferson are the starters off the edge. But this is a team that traded away LB Mack this past season, who was an up-and-coming pass rusher. This is a team that, yes, they drafted Anthony Bennett out of Regina in the first round. But if you're looking for a rotational pass rusher who can help put you over the top, and we we know Richie Hall loves to do all kinds of stuff with his defensive front, move Willie Jefferson inside on passing downs. Jackson Jeffcoat also has a bit of a history of getting hurt, missing a few games every year. I think Sean Lemon could be a game wrecker in Winnipeg. And when you talk about trying to stay on top of your division, what better way to do it than picking the pocket of one of your rivals? You just talked about it, Doug. The Stamps pushing the Bombers in 2022. Well, you take their arguably best defensive player, put them with your group of veterans, all of a sudden the Bombers look all that more scary on the defensive side of the ball. So that's my pick as to where Lemon could potentially sign for this season. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2007, Terrence Edwards signed with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers following two quiet seasons with the Montreal Alouettes. The Georgia product exploded in his first year in blue and gold, making 80 receptions for 1,280 yards and nine touchdowns. Edwards would go on to become one of the greatest receivers in Blue Bombers history, recording 469 receptions, 7,200 yards, and 46 scores over seven seasons. He still ranks fourth in receptions, fourth in receiving yards, and tied for fifth in receiving touchdowns in the team's record book. Dunk, what do you remember about Terrence Edwards? He was a guy that could stretch the defense and really run any route in the playbook, but he did it in such a quiet way that I think his star could be even bigger if he was more of a personality, but he did it his own way. So I have respect for that. A very talented receiver who fit this league. Well, JC, do you remember Terrence Edwards playing? I know you're awfully young. Well, I I have some memories of the tail end of his career. Again, like Dunk said, a guy who could really stretch the field, a deep threat, who could score from from anywhere. I think that was his true value, his ability to take the top off a of defense. One thing I will say about Edwards is I thought there was a couple of years in the CFL where the two best receivers, period, were Jason Tucker and Terrence Edwards. And because they were two such quiet guys relative to some of the other stars in the league at the time, no disrespect to them, guys like Nick Lewis and Jamel Richardson, Guys who, you know, were fantastic, but just bigger personalities. Edwards and Tucker never never got the the respect that they maybe deserved. Just because, again, they weren't those big, huge personalities who loved the spotlight like some other guys did. Let's get to the three-minute drill. Edmonton Elks receiver Dylan Mitchell has stated his goal for this season, and it's to reach 2,000 yards. We're talking Alan Pitts territory. You think he even has a chance to do it? 
with all due respect to Mitchell, who I think is very good, no, he is not going to hit 2,000 yards this season. That goal, give the man credit for shooting high, but that is not realistic. Former Montreal Alouettes defensive lineman turned WWE star, superstar, Billy Graham passed away at 79. Did you ever see him wrestle? I think he was retired before I was even born, but I've heard very impressive things from, from people I know who uh, who love wrestling more than I do. Um, it's very cool to see guys from the CFL go into the wrestling ring and have success. We all know so many big names, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Roman Reigns, to name just a few recent stars that I could actually remember. Um, but it goes back all the way to the days of superstar Billy Graham as well. London, Ontario native Sidney Brown signed his rookie deal with the Philadelphia Eagles after being selected in the third round of the 2023 NFL Draft. Do you think he could earn a starting role as a, on the team as a rookie? I definitely think it's possible. He's going to compete with Reed Blankenship and Justin Evans, but because of the draft capital that the Philadelphia Eagles used, it's certainly a possibility, and Brown is a dude that seems to learn quickly and make an impact wherever he goes very quickly as well. So I could certainly see it happen. Montreal Alouettes head coach Jason Moss expects, quote, great things, close quote, from a leaner, meaner Willie Stanback. Do you think Stanback will have a bounce back 2023 season? I think he will because, I mean, he, he was almost not around last season. And even after he returned from that broken leg, I think it was broken ankle, actually. It was clear he wasn't at 100%. That being said, I want Jason Moss to actually put William Stanback in position to have a great season by running the damn ball. Something that his offenses do not do enough. The BC Lions have hired the Trues to play their backyard party in June, while the Montreal Alouettes have hired Our Lady Peace to play the halftime show at their home opener. Which group would you rather listen to? Well, I, I don't think the Trues will be the biggest band that the BC Lions roll out this year. And I'm quite partial to Our Lady Peace from back in the day. So I think that's my pick. I'd like to be in Montreal to hear them rock it out at Percival Molson. The Buffalo Bills promoted Canadian scout Curtis Rukavina to co-director of pro scouting. Did he deserve the promotion, Doug? Definitely does, man. He does a lot of work behind the scenes for the Bills in terms of scouting their opponents. And he's also had, in recent years, added responsibilities to help out in a big way with free agency and, of course, the draft, too. So Rukavina definitely deserves it. One of a couple Canadians rising in the NFL. I should say a few, actually, if you include Catherine Reich there in her position and also Chris Rossetti with the New York Giants. Sam Peters receiver Reggie Begleton said he wants the team to have one, two, three, four thousand yard receivers in 2023. Do you think that's realistic? I don't. I think Bagleton can be a thousand yard guy. I certainly think Malik Henry could be a thousand yard guy. Maybe Trey Odom Stukes if he takes that next step. But to me, those are really the only three. But we'll have to wait and see. Cole Tucker for a rookie straight out of college looked very impressive, I thought in that preseason game. So two for sure, three, maybe four. I don't think so. Riders QB Jake Dolagala has been found not guilty for impaired driving stemming from an arrest in September 2022. Do you think he'll be the club's primary backup this season? 
I think there's a good chance. I mean, Mason Fine didn't really impress in his time auditioning for that role last season. Jake Dolladala didn't do anything special in his one start either, but he's apparently had a very good training camp, except when he had to be in court in Regina. And he's got all the talent, the size that you look for. I mean, we saw him live last year down in, in Halifax, Duncan. He looks like he's a different species than everyone else on the field. He is so <laughs> tall and long. Very impressive build. He's got the arm to back it up. So if he's taken a stride and he's sort of cleaned up some of these off-the-field issues, I think he could be the number two guy for Saskatchewan. Two-time All-Star cornerback Jamal Roll retired after signing with the Montreal Alouettes in free agency. Is he a big loss for the team? It definitely is. A veteran dude who knows how to play well on the short side of the field and can play on either side of the field in the secondary. They have Siante Evans, who has experience back there, but it's definitely a loss that is going to hurt the Alouettes, who have a lot of young dudes competing for spots in the secondary. Calgary Stampeders have brought in a number of former players to serve as guest coaches in training camp, including Rob Cote, Tom Johnson, and Brandon Smith. Is that a smart move? The Stampeders are one of the CFL's youngest teams, right? They had that dynasty. A lot of these guys, Cote, Brandon Smith being two of them, who were there during that decade-long run where they were the undisputed number one team in the CFL, though they did only come away with two great cup championships. I think that Reaching into the past to try to instill that Stampeder way, as they like to call it, is a smart move for this franchise. Absolutely. Cody Fajardo will not play Montreal's first preseason game against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Is that a smart move for the Owls? No, I think it is. Some people critique this because it's a new team, maybe a slightly changed system from what Jason Moss was running with him in Saskatchewan, but I think there's enough familiarity there. You know what you're getting with Kogi Fajardo, and putting him at risk in a preseason game when you don't really have to, to me, that's just not worth it. So, sit him on the bench, get him one or two drives in the second game, and that's all you need to see from a veteran starter in the preseason. Duke Williams said he feels like, quote, a kid on Christmas, close quote, at Ticats training camp. And it's a great feeling to be playing with Bo Levi Mitchell. Do you expect big things from Williams this season? You know, until he shows me, I don't. Because he needs to get his attitude in check and the way he conducts himself in and around the football field in check as well. And then we can talk about big things actually playing Football, You know, there's a path where I can see it, but he needs to live up to the words that he talked about in terms of being a leader. If he wants to do that behind the scenes, that's great. And if you want to talk about it, that's awesome. But it doesn't mean anything if you don't actually show that on the field. And you shouldn't be showing young players how to throw helmets at the opposition in warm-ups and how to take bench penalties when you're not even dressed for the game. So he needs to smarten up and fly right. And then we can talk about a big season for Duke Williams. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Donation Podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday for another episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.